And this is KEXU 96.1 FM, listening to Old People's Revolutionary Radio. I'm JV, and you're listening to Free Aslan. And um, and today I got a co-host, my co-host, Guayawi, um, happens to be my co-host, and my future wife. How, how's that? That's wonderful. Welcome, Guayawi, to Free Aslan. Thank you. And, um, and so today's show, we have a very good show today. Um, I'm going to be interviewing the author, uh, Chicana scholar, uh, Ana Castillo, and she'll be joining us in just a few moments. And, um, and so it's going to be a very, very interesting um, interview. And before I get into that, I, I just want to, you know, thank you all for listening in. Uh, Free Aslan took, you know, a week or two off um, from everything going on, you know, uh, with this virus. And this is a very serious virus. Uh, and it's affecting a lot of people. It's affecting a lot of uh, events, organizations, and uh, different struggles around the world. And not just here um, where we live at. And... You know, and and as in any kind of struggle, you know, there's always, you know, um, there's always um, room for improvement when these obstacles uh, come and they're going to continue to come. Um, and, you know, we have to continue to struggle and um, move forward. And there's many different ways we can do that. Um, and we just got to keep keep pushing. And just like the song says, keep pushing. We got to keep pushing. And we have to keep, um, you know, finding ways to better our existence and our environments. And so Free Aslan is, um, you know, here in the studio, uh, you know, we're all, you know, masked up and we have gloves and, you know, <laughs> we're, we're protected because it's, it's serious. It's serious, right? We, yeah, well, that's we, true. Yeah, it's That's very true. serious. It's it's dead deadly serious, and you know a lot of people are affected, and we do um, hold near and dear those who are behind the walls affected by this because um, and the children, you know, there's children held in these uh, camps, and um, you know, and so they are in danger as well. So this there's a lot a lot of people that are very vulnerable. And, you know, we want to, you know, we want to reach out to people. We also want to uh, extend our solidarity with um, the Asian community. You know, the Chicano, Mexicano community um, has a lot of unity with the Asian community. And we stand on the same side as them. And there's been a lot of, um, you know, attacks on Asian people, you know, out of ignorance and, um so we want to promote the idea of reaching out to um, our Asian brothers and sisters in the communities and find ways to work with them in solidarity um, and to stand up against injustice, um, however it may come. Because, you know, as I said, we're up against the same obstacles as the Asian community um, our peoples have been in solidarity and, you know, in unity with them for many generations. And we will continue to be uh, for many generations. And that goes for all oppressed peoples, not just Asians, but anybody um, who suffers oppression um, in this society. But um, so with that being said, 
Um, I'd like to welcome our guest, um, uh, Ana Castillo. She is, you know, uh, a scholar, Chicana scholar. Um, she has written uh, many books and, and different publications, um, you know, um, a few books, uh, So Far From God, The Guardians, uh, Pill My Love Like an Onion, That's just a few, you know, I can go on and on. Um, She has a blog called La Comunidad. And according to her blog, in her own words, that uh, it states that she's a writer, creative poet, and longtime cabrona. So, (laughs) and she also happens to have countless awards and degrees and many different titles and just... So much that I would spend the whole show uh, explaining, you know, her, um, you know, her, the things that she's accomplished. So with that being said, uh, Ana Castillo, welcome to Free Aslan. Welcome to Free Aslan, Ana. Gracias. Thank you. Oh, it's wonderful. And, you know, I would... Buenas noches, everybody. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. And, um, you know, um, of course, as a writer, as a, a fellow writer... You know, I understand. I, I really love the written word and how it can capture. I was talking to uh, my co-host, Kwayawi, on the way up here um, about the written word and how, you know, it affects people um, in, in ways that actions don't. Just just as actions touch people in ways that words don't. But, you know, the written word is very powerful. Um and the cultural workers, you know, anybody who creates art and culture and, and write, you know, writing is part of culture. So, you know, it's very important. It touches, you know, I wrote about this and said it touches, you know, literature. Um, our literature touches, touches the soul of Aslan, you know, touches something inside that we can't describe. We don't know what it is, but it touches something deep within us. Uh, you know, um, that, that, you know, cannot be touched in any other ways. But I was very curious, um, and so I wanted to ask you, uh, what motivated you to get you into writing in the first place? Well, you know, I used to, um, I used to tell people when they ask um, that I started writing when I was around 19 years old. And, um, you know, I decided to go to, to, on to school after high school and, you know, w- wasn't really thinking about myself as a writer. I didn't know. I knew I wanted to do something for the collective good to be of service to, uh, to the Chicano Latino community, which my communities began to expand and overlap as, as I grew older. Um, but my mother pointed out, um, years later after I, did become a writer um, that I had been writing since, uh, you know, could, could hold a pencil, I guess. So writing was something that um, that came fairly easily to me, I guess, and reading the two. And I never um, made a decision that to make writing my profession. It was, it, it was in fact, uh, a way to, uh, to be an activist. Uh, I heard you um, say right now that the the writing is one thing um, and and may complement action, but writing is also activism. Mm. We instill as writers uh, ideas and 
uh, places for people to think and reflect and to unite. Uh, and as readers, first, we're, many of us who are writers are also lovers of books. Um, we, uh, we, we look at books to, to teach us, to, uh, to enlighten us, to bring us to new places, places that we don't have to agree with, but then we understand their points of view. So um, uh, all of that became, um, at some point in my early 20s, the, this, the place for me to be an activist. When you're a young activist, uh, when you come from a certain background, you know, whether it's Chicano or, or you know, because it's uh, you're living in, a, in a, the favela, let's say, in, in Brazil or wherever you might be in the world, and you decide you want to make, uh, to, to be of service or to help make some change, um, you know, you, you want to tackle everything at once. You, you want to tackle the climate change, you want to tackle, you know, uh, uh, toxic poisoning and you know in in the water and and you know uh domestic violence everything comes to mind at once here and there and you burn out and i think a lot of young people discover that very soon so i i decided after i had burned out somewhere in my mid-20s that i couldn't do it all i wasn't going to save the world single-handedly so i chose one thing that i thought i could work at and that was and and to try to do it as best as I could and that was writing and um, I wrote for a long time uh, I, I I had and I still do um, uh, have my um, um, visual artistic uh, aspirations but I put everything aside uh, other things that I may have wanted to do I, I thought about going into law uh, to, to be a, a school teacher but I decided to do to do something well and to be focused. It was the thing I had to focus on. And um, so writing has been my form of giving to this world my uh, my whole adult life. Mm. Beautiful words. and And I've always felt like writers in any society, a lot of times the writers are like the visionaries um, where they see, you know, even in a novel, you know, you've written novels, but you've also written, you know, essays, articles, etc. But even in a novel, I think that um, uh, writers, sometimes they um, translate um, a different society, a different, a, a better way of reacting to, a better way of living, a better way of existing. And so writers sometimes, um, you know... Uh, express what is to come in the future when um, society has not even caught up to that vision yet. And I think, and that's why a lot of times society, um, in different societies, writers can be very dangerous. And, you know, in, in, in some societies have felt very threatened by writers because of this um, this vision, um, you know, in, in, in what is expressed. But I wanted to get to the next... Um, question and you know um you wrote a zine and you know this publication that you wrote and we were discussing this on the way up as well it was very interesting and so my co-host Guayawi would would like to ask you the next question hello so the question is why was it important to publish the zine la toteca 
I, I was having a real hard time hearing you. You guys sound really far away, but I think you're asking me about why it got the name La Tolteca. Oh, yeah. So the, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, great. So okay. the Is that what you asked me? Yeah, I, I had asked why was it important to publish the zine La Tolteca? Well, um, I, uh, I started uh, offering workshops to the writing workshops to the public around 2008-2009 uh, right after the recession hit a lot of people and certainly affected my life and um, and uh, I felt very strongly that um, it's very important especially as a Chicana uh, but, uh, but I've given these workshops all over the world in different cultures in Kazakhstan and and in Buenos Aires and, and interesting places where people have a very complex um, uh, history in their country and in their lives. But, but um, getting back to my own culture as a Chicana in the United States, um, I felt it was important to think, for, to think about um, our stories, our, all of our individual stories, and uh, what did I have to offer um, to to people um, with that uh, with that in mind is um, is to uh, impart my uh, my writing skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also taught in universities for many many years all kinds of subjects, but also writing uh, uh, and uh, and graduate writing courses of all kinds. And so I thought this is something that I can do, and 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 just to encourage people and to give them confidence. And telling their stories, we we we're very good um, storytellers. My father was an excellent storyteller. He, I write and he talked. That was his way of communicating. Uh, and take to talk to anybody and sit across the kitchen table and have everybody just en- enthralled with his stories. But he would never have written them down. Down. So, but, so we do that. But we're we don't have the confidence. Some of us don't have the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, to put them in writing, and so uh, so I started doing these workshops, as I said, and then to encourage people because it would be a workshop that would last, let's just say, a few hours or one day or something like that. Then I walk away. I mean, I would go and fly around uh, different places, and you would not see me again. And so maybe I got you started on writing your story, and, and you know, then you don't have a chance to really show it to me later on, or. Or to or to ask me any questions, so I made myself available in that way through my uh, through my uh, email. But um, uh, with a few of the people that were uh, very uh, um, enthusiastic about it, I began to think about doing the zine, and um, and so the the zine was a, a part of that. So if you had been in my workshop, you were invited to submit the work that you did, or anything that you do. And if you mm. did photography or if you're a painter, you could submit that too. And so for five years, um, I did that. Um, and, and with the help of volunteers, usually people that had been in my workshops, um, and uh, most of the people in the work that were, that were in the zine were people that had been in my workshops, maybe had never been published before. But I also invited... Uh, people who were accomplished artists and writers uh, who were very generous with their with their uh, submissions and, and um, to be interviewed or to submit some some of their own work 
alongside that work. And I did the editing and so on. Hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. And and I'll just give for the listeners a description of uh, La Tolteca. And it says, um, off of your website, it says, La Tolteca, a literary arts magazine that promotes the advancement of a world without borders and censorship. And, yeah, that's deep. And that's it's a beautiful thing right there. And, you know... You know, censorship is very, you know, it's a very personal, um, you know, something that I've personally uh, been through, felt, experienced. You know, um, I was incarcerated, I was imprisoned, and, you know, within prison, um, a lot of people don't know that censorship is very real. And what, what, what it is, is they withhold publications they, you know, there's a lot of prison writers, you know, I was one of them, and, you know, I used to get these articles published in different um, newspapers and magazines and newsletters, and a lot of times, you know, they were very critical of the, um, of the prisons that I was in, or some of the guards that were there, or some of the uh, different forms of abuse and repression, so censorship was very real, um, many publications I couldn't get, uh, they would, you know, come up to my cell, show me the publication and say, you can't get this, you know, and, and it was a publication that I published an article in. And so they would come and show me and sometimes I would actually see my article and they would say, um, you're not getting this today. So, you know, this is uh, censorship is very real in prison. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, psychologically, it's just, especially for a writer, um, as you can probably imagine, um, you create this writing, this article, you send it in, submit it, um, it gets published and then the publication, you're, you're not even able to read it, um, because of the censorship. So, you know, it's very painful. It's, um, you know, um, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I, I thought that was interesting that you put censorship. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, um, have you ever experienced uh, censorship yourself? Well, um, I, be, I believe that a, a big reason why I started to write is because by virtue uh, of, uh, of being Chicana, I'm from the baby boomer generation, and, and I'm definitely not the first generation of of, uh, of people, uh, journalists and writers in this country, who of Mexican background, who first wrote or published or, or made efforts in that direction. But we are the first generation that that people see um, that made those those breakthroughs. Uh, and uh, and when I started to write. There wasn't, there wasn't, not only wasn't a, a, a previous generation of Chicanos or Chicanos that I could walk into the bookstore and find, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be somebody with a Spanish last name. And, and if it was, it would be from, from the Latin American boom in translation. Um, or, and amongst them, there were one or two women. And so, um, 
and you know, I'm originally from Chicago. So you might see them from California or from New York, or you'd see them from Mexico or someplace, but you're not going to see them from Chicago. So there are all kinds of ways in which I did not see anyone that I felt uh, I could relate to or, you know, that could represent my perspective. And so uh, to begin with, censorship just comes from our history of of uh, colonialism in this country and racism and um, the misogyny that um, that we all still experience as, as women. But, uh, you know, in the late 70s, mid, uh, mid-70s, mid when I was very active as a young feminist and Latina, um, there are things that we take way for granted now that I would say are all part of the um, the silencing of of a whole group of people for many reasons, and there's still and it's still prevalent, but it's but in comparison to what it was as a young writer and as a young woman, um, that was just automatic censoring. You were not going to get published. Mm. You know, I was in my mid thirties with writers like uh, Juan Felipe Herrera um, or many people from from the Bay Area, um, Lucha Corpi or. Cherie Moraga, people that Sandra Cisneros pastor there, and I know her from Chicago, we're the, from the same generation. We read mm-hmm. together many times. Many of our, in those years, we were already in our mid-30s and some hitting 40s and even older and couldn't even fathom being, uh, being published outside of our own self-published, uh, published, uh, publication. So, so that's a big censorship, the censorship uh. of a whole, of a whole people from a culture, from a background, um, uh, people who are pe- who are also people of color, of course, and and then and then um, and then women, and then um, there was the LGBTQ element to to all of that. So all of that has been something I've lived and experienced mm. as a writer my whole life. Mm. And I'll say even today, uh, I have been published by uh, many of the major publishers. Uh, uh, mainstream publishers in, in my in my lifetime, and I've had the the blessing and privilege to be recognized um, in many places around the world and to be respected without compromising uh, uh, mm. my perspectives. Uh, that's been very important to me. But even today, I will would say to you that I I would if you would ask me, do you consider yourself censored? I do, of course. Mm. Uh, for all the reasons that I just said, I don't pull punches. I don't. Um, I don't write for mainstream. Uh, I've all, I have a reputation worldwide as a feminist, uh, and um, and and speaking on the racism that uh, that I know personally and experienced in this country. And so, of course, with all of those, you know, la- layers of of uh, of, uh, of, of representation mm-hmm. that have been. Uh, uh, that have been, uh, you know, uh, silenced in so many different ways, dismissed, uh, disenfranchised, kept out, you mm-hmm. know, uh, of uh, all kinds of places where, you know, where uh, where we're not seen or represented uh, is censorship, and so it's mm-hmm. re- it's easy for me to say that that I would have a, a zine that would say it's a place without borders. And without censorship, because that's the that's the place where all of us exist. Mm. We are censored. I'm I'm very uh, sorry that you had that experience of of uh, of uh, putting your work out there 
and um, not being allowed to to see it, uh, I um, I have a book of a personal essays and memoir called uh, Black Dove, Paloma Negra, and their essays. The subtitle is uh, Mama, Mijo, and Me, and it's about being a daughter and being a mother of of a brown man. My son is in his mid thirties now, mm. and I invite your readers to check it out. It came out in twenty seventeen. I told you know, a lot of stories about my, my own life and my son and my mother, but also a lot of these observations so you, you know, might understand, you know, all the different reasons why, why it would be natural for me to, to come from a perspective in which um, I feel that it's important for us to have a space to, uh, to, to speak out and, and uh, say our, uh, speak out about our own perspective without fear of being silenced, but also a place where other people understand you. Mm. Beautiful, yes. And, and, and yes, um, you know, um, the independent institutions like, you know, La Tolteca and many other publications. I know here at Poor Magazine, there's uh, Poor, Poor News Network, um, Prensa Pobre, and these are independent institutions. I also have um, Aslan Press, and these are independent institutions that we need to make, um, as you said, you know, uh, our own space because, um, unfortunately, you know, if we don't carve out our own space, we probably won't be heard. So it's it's very important that we have independent institutions, especially, um, you know, as you mentioned, especially under these circumstances under colonialism um, and and one of the elements of decolonization I think um, is having our independent institutions that's a process that starts in the decolonization process and the educating um, and and, and, you know and we have to have our own press we have to have our publications um, we have to have our own schools you know in, in order to teach our people, um, our histories, our beautiful cultures, and things that are overlooked and censored, um, and that are taken for granted, and you know, and so it's very, very, very important. But um, I want to go to uh, one more question, uh, and then we'll be taking a short music break. But I wanted to ask, you know, on the way up here, I was, um, you know, talking to. Um, my co-host Guayawi and I was explaining that you know I first read your one of your books um, Massacre of Dreamers I read it in prison and I was telling her that you know this is going to be a very special interview for me for me personally it was um, it's just incredible to think that you know at one point I was in Pelican in the concentration camp Pelican Bay Shoe solitary confinement and i was sitting there in this uh windowless cell um you know this torture unit that that we call torture units um i was sitting there and i you know um i got a book um massacre of dreamers essays on chicanisma that you wrote and so um i got this book and i was reading it and then i was telling my co-host here guayawi that you know um you know, she asked, well, what's, what was special about the book? How did it touch you? Or, you know, and I, and I was explaining that, you know, um, writing, um, you know, writing 
um, expressing oneself on, on paper, especially about our culture, um, is very special uh, when you can translate that to your people to instill um, pride in your people, to be proud of who they are um, as Chicano people, um, to be proud of our culture, to be proud of how we developed under such a repressive system, um, you know, and, and how we continue to struggle. And, you know, and, and, and that's a beautiful thing to, to be able to translate that not only to Chicano people, but even to non-Chicano people, I told her, um, when they can read it and they can say, you know what, th this is Chicano people, this is a beautiful culture uh, and, and, and this is something that is very special and, um, you know, and, and, and this is a cultural worker, in my opinion, um, somebody who works and produces culture and promotes it in a very beautiful way um, and um, is able to provoke um, ideas and to, you know, to get people to think um, outside of uh, this shell that um, is created for us, not by us. So this is something that I, I just wanted to say that this interview is very special and personal to me because um, I remember reading uh, your book while I was in such a, a horrible place. But this leads me to my question. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my question is, you know, in your book, Massacre of Dreamers, Essays on Chicanisma, um, I wanted to ask, you know, for the listeners, um, what, you know, if you can explain what Chicanisma is, because um, there might be some people who are wondering, what is Chicanisma? Well, I, um, I, I uh, came up with this term in the mid-80s. Um, as a as a feminist Chicana writer, where we are um, as women writers. By then, I had a, uh, begun to establish my reputation as a poet. I have a book called My Father Was a Toltec, that's still there, that's still in in, in publication. And I had published my first novel, The Miskiwala Letters, and that book, fortunately, and that's still in publication. They're they're with uh, Doubleday. And, um, but we, you know, so we had poetry and we had fiction, but, but what is this to be a Chicana? You know, what does it mean to be a Chicana, uh, activist or, or can we use the word feminist because we saw that as belonging really about white women. And so I just, uh, in my writing and in my thinking, I came up with this term, uh, Chicanista with Chicana, uh, Chicanista with an X, uh, to, to describe the Chicana feminist. Uh, and the Chicano feminist, by the way, doesn't have to be uh, only a woman. I, and I remember a friend in the Bay Area who who, who loved my writing and, and I was sharing other books, um, a gay man uh, who I worked with in, in community arts and things, and he said, I don't want to have to be a woman to be a, uh, a feminist. And so he said, that's not what it's about. It's about understanding uh, what that aspect that's in all of us it right. is about is right. that the feminine in in us and also to understand um how long uh women have been looked at as subordinates and second class citizens throughout um. the world all different levels all different we, we can see it all the way to the white house and all the way to the 
the deepest corners in in the world how women have that share that history but how do we interpret it as chicanas particularly what what are our our issues and that's really what led um what was driving my poetry and even my new fiction at the time then i was invited to sit down and put these ideas down you know my friends around me the writers i mentioned earlier and, and others said you know Anna, you, you you theorize all the time but you don't you know you don't write it and i didn't write the theory i talked about it but i wrote about it in my poetry and fiction so massacre of the dreamers was really me taking the challenge to now how do i put those ideas in um in in essay form and i'm i'm just so moved and and um grateful that that those words that I didn't know where they would go or when they would go or if they would ever get out uh, found your hands in a place and maybe when you needed, mm-hmm. you know, you needed a, um, a a friendly voice speaking to you. Absolutely. I, I needed that literary nourishment um, from uh, from the Chicano Nation. I was uh, held in a, in a place that was very foreign to me, that was anti-people, that was, you know, anti-sunlight, you know, and so I was held in this, um, in this cell, and 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 to hear these words um, was very, very beautiful, and it did um, give me what I needed um, in order to get through this 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 time, um, and so it's beautiful, and I just want to say that, you know, we at Free Aslan, we we do um, agree with. Um, you know what you said um concerning gender struggles you know gender oppression is very real um and you know and 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 we we see it as um you know there's three there's kind of three big obstacles that we need to deal with and gender is one of them there's gender oppression there's class oppression and there's national oppression and and we feel like you know, nation, class, and gender are very real struggles. We, um, you know, we fully support um, all who struggle for, you know, against gender oppression as well as class and nation. But, um, and the feminists, the, the male feminists, um, we had this conversation before me and Kwayawi, and um, I agree that, you know, males can and should be feminists. I consider myself a male feminist as well. If you're not a male feminist, um, you are steeped in patriarchy. So this is something that's very important that we need to learn about, talk about, and teach others. Um, so Anna, we're going to take a short break and listen to some music. We have um, uh, we have our uh, musician in residence here. And so we'll come back to the interview in just a few moments. All right, thank you. Okay, and here is Hera. And what's the name of this song, Hera? Children are the future. Children are our future. And it's um, very relevant in today with this corona, this so-called virus. I like to call it the capitalist virus. But um, we're going to hear Hera's song. And it's it's very deep and it's fire. Wow. <laughs> 
These children are the future, I think everyone forgot Must have got used to hearing all them gunshots We can't depend on the cops cause they built on corruption Uncle Sam, 45 and him, that's the government But he ain't never been a man that I call Theo He ain't part of my family, any one of my people They can't understand this lifestyle we live in Rather see us dead or alive sins in prison It's the system that's twisted, tangled in a knot All my people gifted, how you gonna tell us we not? R.I.P. to Nipsey, we know he chilling with Pac Pour out a little bit, don't get too tipsy on the block It ain't where you're from, it's about where you're going these youngsters is watching, influenced by how you show them. Grow up to become something great. It's time for my people to shine like the Golden State. The bay. Come together and turn him into a mannequin. Statue of Liberty really doesn't mean anything. Just another way to dehumanize the indigenous. And I'm slightly killing us in increments. So many forms of genocide, it's ridiculous. Census is coming up. They need a head count. Most of us locked up or dead now. Cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians. Thanks for taking more than what was given to you. Thanks for faking and acting like you cared about us. Taking 100 senators and get up out of here. Congressmen in the House of Representatives, Secretary of State and the Punk Attorney General. This is KEXU 96.1 FM, Poor People's Revolutionary Radio. I'm JV, and you're listening to Free Aslan. And uh, and so we're back here. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Guayawi. Guayawi, thank you once again for um, for assisting in making this happen. Of course. And of course, Moot. Got Moot. Thank you. And, um, and, and Hera, thank you for that beautiful music as well. And so I'm back here with the interview with Ana Castillo. Ana, um, welcome back to Free Aslan. Gracias, yes, thank you. And um, and so, Guayawi, uh, you sure, want yeah. I'll go ahead and ask the next question. Um, okay. So what book or literary work uh, was the most challenging for you to write, and why? Well, I, you know, I've written and, and published... Um, just about every genre. I started out as a poet, and uh, my last book was um, uh, the book I mentioned, Black Dove, Paloma Negra, uh, which is personal essays and memoir, and that was very challenging. But 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 by by far the most difficult book for me and the most challenging book was Massacre of the Dreamers, essays on Chicanismo. Uh, I as I mentioned, uh, I I wrote it in the started working on it in the mid-80s and, and went, took years, like into the early 90s, like seven years or so. But this is a time before Google and being able to do all kinds of fact-checking that you need to do when, you do, when you're working with critical essays. Mm. And I couldn't, you know, I'm writing about a subject that there wasn't much or hardly anything um, before that. 
Now, there were some, um, there were Chicanas in this country that were studying, um, uh, you know, they were already studying my books to write their theses on this subject, but that's not like a popular book where you're going to go find that in a bookstore. So the theories that I had, uh, thinking about how, uh, not only who we are now, how did we get there, thinking about our spiritual legacies, our, our, our cultural legacies, our customs, our traditions, the international relationship we have with Mexico and, um, and, you know, who we were before this became the United States. All these questions were, you know, things that I thought about. Um, how do I, how do I verify that? I had to go out and find that, um, that documentation. Uh, I wasn't, um, I was affiliated informally and invited by a, a German uh, university, but they didn't give me any money and they gave me no assistance. Mm. So I, everything I did, I did on my own. Um, and I was a, a single mother of a, of a young boy at that time and needing to work and, and support, a, uh, support ourselves. And we moved around the country where I accepted writing residencies, teaching residencies. I used the libraries at these colleges. But again, I don't have, there's nothing... There's no precedent, you know, to what I'm writing. So who's going to tell me? Where do I, where do I cross-reference this? So it's very, very, very hard uh, for many on many levels for many reasons. When I finish the book, uh, what am I going to do with it? Um, so uh, I was invited by this university uh, in Germany. They challenged me to to put these theories down, and I did. But to go and defend them as a dissertation in Germany, it's never never been done they know there's who they had a national committee no there's no expert on this field in the field and uh, i was turned down twice i was called a proto-fascist by a german uh, scholar and uh, so finally uh you know with my tenacity the third time was the charm and and i received the doctorate for that um Mm -hmm. but then i also want the book published and that was I, by this point, I already had uh, so far from God. Uh, my novel was published, and it was enormously, surprisingly uh, popular. Uh, it crossed over, very surprising because it was the last thing I had in my mind when I started writing it. And yet, I have this book, Massacre of the Dreamers, which is saying a lot of the same things that this this uh, entertaining novel did, but 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 straightforward uh, with. Uh, with all the um, with with all the research that I had, uh, all the statistics that I had to back up everything that I that I always talk about in my fiction and non and, and poetry, and, uh, and it was very painful and and uh, uh, there were a lot of tears, a lot of uh, dark moments where I thought I would just give up altogether, give up writing, even give up life. You know when you're when you've written something like that, and you you know, and what are you going to do with it? I was uh, very fortunate to meet somebody from the University of New Mexico Press. Initially, they had a lot of issues with it, uh, but I, again, I persevered, and um, and it got published. And and uh, twenty uh, and twenty year anniversary, which was twenty fourteen, I got uh, the University of New Mexico Press. To um, to get me on board with with the press to uh, update 
the statistics and a lot of the information. And we did a um, uh, uh, anniversary edition of it, and okay. it's still out there. Unfortunately, people are reading it. Uh, mm. uh, the good news uh, for me was I didn't have to do that much updating, and the bad news for all of us is that I didn't have that much updating to do mm. on the facts of our reality and our 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 present and and uh, our condition. Mm. Mm, beautiful words and you know when it comes to writing you know it, it's you know just living here um everybody that that lives here or was born here or spends decades here um you know the pull uh the pull to assimilation is very strong uh writers um you know they are not exempt from this um this this pull and 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 so and and on the one hand it can be very easy um for a a, a talented writer um let's say somebody with your skill set that writes very well it would be very easy for you to you know slip into um you know writing about um you know novels um in favor of these corporations that are doing you know and so it's just it would be very very easy for any talented writer to slip into this pool of assimilation or attempted assimilation um and, and yet you stick strictly to um you know writing um relevant uh, literature that affects um, rasa, that affects um, you know people, um, you know in our neighborhoods where we grow up, uh, and and you write in a way that um, you know highlights the beauty of our culture. So, my question to you is: Why is Chicana and Chicano literature? Why is it so important to you? Um, if um, if I wanted to continue, I don't know, being a drone, um, I would, you know, I would have chosen a lot of things to do, um, and, and would think about doing a lot of things, as I mentioned earlier, mm. and as I mentioned earlier, uh, writing became something that I thought I, I could do, um, uh, and this would be my form of activism. Mm. When I was a, a teenager in Chicago, I realized that there was already uh, uh, there was already uh, a, a path made for me, and that path was to um, maybe not work in a factory as my mother did, but go work a, a secondary type of level job in an office as my older sister was doing. I should get married, I should have children, and live a nice, quiet, working-class life, and don't make any, don't make any <laughs> waves, <laughs> and you won't, nobody will get hurt. Yeah. You know, you'll be fine. Yeah. And um, when I came to realize that, I was still in high school, and I began to realize that by looking around, by seeing what was going on with the civil rights movement, and the Chicano movement in California, and and what was happening in Latin America, and I I uh, I just knew that I had to uh, 
you know, I, I had to break away from that. And so, um, as, as I like to say a lot of times now, I've come too far to turn back now. So, <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's intrinsic in who I am, not just my soul and my spirit, but everything about me, who I am, to make my existence be known. I have to um, leave that indelible watermark because otherwise it was already put out there that I should not never be heard, never mm-hmm. be seen, and only do what I'm told to do. And I, I come from, a, from a, a time in history and also a, a, a place in, in this country where uh, a brown woman wasn't even considered for a position, let's just say, as a receptionist in a dentist's office because... No business, small or large, wanted to have a woman of color representing their business. So even if I decided after high school I'm not going to go work in a factory, uh, but I'll go try to have a a clean job like my sister, I knew that a private secretary job was not going to be there for me. So even if I wanted to do those kind of things, I already knew that my opportunities would be very limited. Now, I also had consciousness and artistic inclination so i wasn't interested in going off to hollywood and becoming an, uh, a movie star or or you know marrying a rich man or doing things that would have just brought me some personal material um, fame or fortune it was very important as i said for me to to uh to not leave this world without letting people know that me and it's not just me but there's m- millions of us who have been in this country, who have been rendered invisible and, and, and silent. And uh, so when I started to write, it, it, was, it wasn't really to talk to, to them because it, they, the they, they're not going to listen. They don't care. They still don't care. Yeah. It, was really, it was really about building this community that I've mentioned recently in, in my blog on my, on my website, sonicasteel.net, and I invite your listeners to to check it out i just started thinking about it recently with this with this virus that has people mm. uh quarantine and and self-isolating and more than most people usually already feel they are mm. um to build a community of like-minded people uh and i'm not and i'm and i'm not here to debate all the details i think we can find enough things to bring most people together uh, so generations uh, and intergeneration um, discussions are important, but at the end of the day, uh, we're we're um, you know we're in, in a lot of things together, and uh, not only in our homes, uh, intergenerationally, but also uh, in society. So that's uh, that's what keeps you know kept my writing uh, uh, going and being true to myself and being true to what I started doing. Uh, you know, it's easy for people to say, Anna Castillo, oh, she must be a millionaire. She has so many books. She must make so many. But I would like to point it out to people, the kind of books that I write aren't exactly New York Times bestseller books. And if my own people, the women that I'm writing about, or the people that I'm writing about, don't go out and buy my books, you know, for sure I'll never make anything off of it. But I, I make next to nothing in royalties uh, because of that. So there is a price to pay when you choose to be true to your work and to your artist, your artistry and your craft and your voice. 
um, but uh, I always um, uh, subsidized that throughout my adult life with uh, with teaching, and um, you know, most recently trying to do these workshops. People also ask, like, why am I charging? Why don't I do them for free? Are you going to come and give it for free? Can I be there for free? And I would love to do that, but I'm not a millionaire. And I have my electric bill to pay just like everybody else and my cell phone to pay. So we have to be supportive of each other and the things that we've chosen to do. But we chose choose to do them with our with our consciousness. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful words. And, and we agree, you know, and we're glad that you didn't turn back and you have no plans of turning back because um, we think that you have been a great contributor um, to the Chicano people, to Chicano literature and to literature, um, uh, you know, literature in general that, you know, um, you've described things and captured them for uh, readers um, in very, very good ways. And, 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 and you're right, you know, um, some, of the, uh, some of the things I think that um, the most impactful um, things... Um, people don't get paid for you know um those those things that make the biggest impacts in society um usually nine times out of ten the people who made those impacts did not get paid for it at all so uh i'm very you know glad that you uh as hard as that um choice was in um in your in your writings and in creating chicano literature uh i'm glad and i know many others are as well that um you chose to um, make that sacrifice and continue um writing the way you do and capturing our social reality uh in ways that um other people would would not do so and especially, you know, the writers coming from the oppressed nations, I think it's very important that um, that we have our own writers, that, that there are Chicano writers, Chicano writers, that there are black writers, that there are telling the stories, um, there are Asian writers. You know, the Asian writers right now, I would hope, would be capturing these moments in writing literature and novels about uh, Asians... Um, um, facing this this hate and, and these attacks at a time like this because of this virus. Um, and, and this is very important because only the Asian community can capture the Asian experience um, in a real way. And, and I believe that's the same for the Chicano Nation, that our Chicana, Chicano writers um, can only capture our experience, um, you know, from our perspective. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy um, that you're continuing to do so. And we do need to support uh, our writers and, 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 and buy their books in order to keep them, keep them going and, and continuing um, this, this great work. But I wanted to ask you, Anna, um, are there any books or projects that you're working on right now that you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, you know, it's been a very tough last three years, and I hope it's not going to be a worse next four years, the last three and a half years. Um, I I, um, 
had just come out with my uh, my last book, Black Doe, which was um, a, a memoir, personal essay, and, and it was really important to me. I really wrote it, you know, from the heart, and uh, and uh, I got it published, and and um, you know, I felt it was uh, you know being read and well received by by the people that we're talking about. And I was planning on right after that. I, I was at the point in my life, and my my life as a writer, to uh, to think about writing a book about writing. Uh, you know, I've been doing yeah. these these workshops to the public, and I thought, well, it's every every writer at some point gets asked, like, you know, why don't you talk about you know how you put a book together? And I was thinking about doing that when 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 um, the election happened and. And we've had this uh, experience, let's put it that way, in the last few years. To th- and it affected me to the extent that I didn't feel there was anything, any any reason for me to write anymore or to write. And um, I just, I saw no point in it. Every, every book from the beginning, uh, every project has been, a, uh, all, has been with a lot of determination to, to see it through. And to and to get it published to see the light of the day, and then and then there's the whole thing of getting it out there so people know it exists. Um, and I had just done that with this last uh, book, um, which was also very personal. I talk about you know my own life a little bit, and and about my son. About my son mm. was a, a brown man growing up in Chicago, and uh. and uh, you know we had just the nation had just been moved by the Trayvon. Um, mm. horrific ver- uh, verdict and yeah. so on and we all know about sh- Chicago police brutality oh, yeah. I felt I had written about so much for so long and had had so much hope for so long to see something something change and then to reach this point I felt I really didn't have anything more to write uh, I'm very happy to, I stopped working on La Toteca and I I'm very happy to be supportive of other writers, and I'm always mm. glad to see that other writers have that ambition. Mm. I did decide a couple of years ago to go back to poetry that I had started working on, and so um, I forced my—I have forced myself to work on uh, my poems, and I've finished mm. a collection called My Book of the Dead, mm. which is a—it stops at 2019, so I won't have this latest uh, tally. Uh, included, but it does have a lot of what we've been experiencing in the last three years, and I will um, make every effort to get that book uh, published somewhere, placed somewhere, so that I can share it. Now I have sent out some of the poems and share them with people, and they've been very well received, and um, and uh, I have every reason to feel that um, you know it's a strong representation of my writing and my work. But Beautiful. it's very difficult for me to sit down and uh, and begin to write prose every time I do. And you said something early on in the program, which I wanted to go back to and address, and that is that the writer, and I would say particularly the poet, is is a prof- seems to be a prophetic voice in our communities and in our countries. Mm-hmm. Poets have been historically revolutionary voices. It's why. When a revolution starts, we're usually the first ones that are taken up and put against oh, the yeah. wall. Yeah, um, absolutely. We have our ear to the ground. 
It's because we, we think with our minds and we also speak with our hearts. Mm. And so as we're, we have our ear to the ground and we can hear what's coming, um, we mm. begin to sing about it. Our poetry yeah. is, is our song. Mm, beautiful. And, um, so I've been able to do that with this new collection. As I said, some of the poems and many of the poems oh. have been requested but I, I've, I'm keeping it as, as a, to have it as a new collection, are, are addressing that. If you are speaking with your mind and your heart, you'll, right. you will say those things that people, it's not that we, we're seeing what people don't see, it's, it's that we're saying what people don't want to say. Yeah. We've seen it. Beautiful, We've beautiful words. Much sooner before 2016, but we were too busy riding the wave or in denial or, uh, you know, other things, right. less polite that I might say. And so we weren't attentive to what we needed to do. Yeah. And now we're just playing catch-up, and, um, and we'll see where, where we'll go. And we'll, and I we'll don't see. I know what else uh, um, I, I may write. I happen to be in, right now, in excellent health and energy, and I'm very physically active, and so I feel that I would love to, um, to go back to that but um, but for me right now it's um, it's not the it's unfortunately it's a very difficult task mm. and it made me because of what you said because every time I sit down to start writing what I'm writing about comes right around the corner mm. yeah whereas yeah. before when I would write it would be hypothetical this could happen right. now this is happening yeah and it's scary Anna and it's scary and and you know. And that's the thing. I think that when it's scary, that's when it's writing is most, most important. But on that note, we are out of time. And I just want, we have like 10 more seconds. And I just wanted to ask you one last question, Anna. Um, what does Aslan mean to you? Well, it has meant to me, as a Chicana, uh, uh, the place of origin, but also... Um, Symbolically speaking, it was a place of origin for the Chicano voice um, of the of the 70s, uh, which I will always respect and give due respect to. I know there's a lot of controversy uh, with it, but I I remain um, always in respect of those that came before me and those mm. who uh, laid the groundwork for me to do what I have to do now. Beautiful. And 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 on that note. Uh, I want to thank you, Anna, for coming on to Free Aslan. Um, I believe that you are uh, one of our literary gems uh, for the Chicano people. And I hope that you continue to nourish us as you nourished me when I was in that torture cell in Pelican Bay Shoe. I hope you continue to nourish our gente throughout Aslan. And thank, thank you very you, much. I wish everybody well. Stay well. Stay safe. You too, Anna. Thank you. And this is KEXU 96.1 FM, Pole People's Revolutionary Radio. I'm JV, and you were listening to Free Aslan.